Hey everyone, this is Siobhan and you're listening to the Creative Outsiders Podcast where we connect the dots for women's storytellers. Basically, we want to show you it's possible to live your filmmaking dreams. And today I get to sit down and chat with Maya Hollis, who is the head of development and the lead event planner at Pretty Thing. She is the creator and executive producer of Or Die Trying, the studio's first original series. Maya's background in screenwriting and development has given her a fresh perspective on storytelling. She seeks to produce strong character-driven content that illuminates underrepresented voices and represents the world as it truly is. Maya has also worked as an event planner in LA, organizing everything from weddings to premieres. She is the founder at Holly Baker, a lifestyle and wellness site catered towards creatives. And I'm so glad we get to sit down and chat. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes. I, um, it was so funny at the beginning of season two, because this is our second season, I had wrote down a uh, list of people that I wanted to interview, and you were one of the people on my list. Oh, yay. That's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, so I'm excited, um, especially because I tell everyone I – like stalk everybody's Instagram and (laughs) once I realize I'm going to interview them and your Instagram is so beautiful it oh thank you inspires me like let me go look and look at her pictures and get some inspiration (laughs) that's sweet it's it's insane these days like um especially since we do branding and things with, with pretty thing it's insane how much time goes into Instagram and you want to try to be like, oh, I don't worry about social media. I'm not even concerned with it. And then it's, I have like an entire process around like creating that aesthetic that takes way more time than it should. So I appreciate it. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, I wish I would say that I'm the same. I'm trying to get better, but I'm I'm trying. (laughs) trying. (laughs) Because it does take a lot of effort. Yeah, yeah. So I like to ask people, just so people have a perspective, um, just as a creative, what does a typical day look like for you? Because you are a screenwriter, you're a producer, you're head of development. So take take us through what your day looked like today. Um, Today, okay, so... uh... I I try to wake up as early as possible, but I'm a night owl, so I wake up usually at the very last minute. I'm the polar opposite of my producing partner, Sarah, who is up at 6.30 a.m. every day, regardless of, like, what she has to do that day. I, it's a struggle for me to get out of bed every day, so... My goal would be to be able to wake up earlier to get things done in the morning, but as of now, it's like, wake up get ready for where I need to be, leave the house. I literally give myself like an hour to be out of my house. It's ridiculous. Um, And then I will meet up with Sarah to work, either work for my place or work for her place. We like being able to kind of work from our own space. Um, But we also like to switch it up and do cafes and things like that too, to kind of get out of our space a little bit. Um, But we jump right into our clients for the agency side of um, our company so we kind of um, knock out all those tests first thing to kind of get them out of the way. And then we um, focus on developing film projects or TV projects that she wants to produce or that I want to write. Um, things that we would either want to produce ourselves or that we would want to package and sell. Um, or just things that we kind of want to have, you know, finished and ready to go for um, 
for the future. So we work on that. We spend a lot of time developing the brand um, with our company, our social, um, just the, the aesthetic and the voice of our company because we are a newer company. So it's important to really have that defined or defined aesthetic. Um, so we spend some time on that. Um, we have an assistant who comes in once a week and she kind of helps with all of our like daily tasks and kind of keeping us flowing. We spend all of our day on our emails. Like we try to uh, restrict it, but it doesn't work because we're like, oh, we're only going to check emails, you know, <laughs> three times today. And then it becomes like how people are with Instagram is us with our emails, just refreshing. Like, is there anything like that we, that we, you know, need to catch up on. Um, and uh, yeah, I also, you know, I fit in working out and things like that usually in the night because like, I discuss I'm not good at waking up before I need to. <laughs> I'm horrible at it. So I work out at night. Um, I try to give myself at least one hour of writing time, whether it's for my website, Holly Baker, or for scripts that I'm working on, um, at least one hour a day to kind of um, get into that zone and have that creative energy. And then I sleep as much as I can. I watch a lot of Netflix. Um, I call it research, but it's really probably just procrastination. <laughs> but I watch a lot of TV, like an insane amount of TV, um, which also keeps me relevant on like the trends of what's going on. We read all of the, the entertainment, you know, publications like uh, Variety or Hollywood Reporter. We keep up on those as well. Um, so we try to kind of stay involved in that aspect of the industry, but also stay you know, connected to what we're trying to do specifically with our company. Well, I will tell you that I'm so much like you. I wait until the very last minute to get ready. Like I <laughs> go bad. Like I just, yeah, I'm not a morning person. I definitely could stay up until like four o'clock in the morning. It's so bad. Too. It's so bad because in the middle of the night, no matter what your intentions are, the chances of you really being productive are so slim. You just want to kind of lay there and eat snacks and watch TV. Mm -hmm. And it's much easier to be productive in the morning. Um, when you first get up, you know, you have breakfast or you have coffee. And it's easier to kind of jump into that because you don't, your brain doesn't really want to sit there and watch TV at six o'clock in the morning. You kind right. of want to jump into your routine. But it's, it's retraining your body to, you know, go to, to get tired, you know, earlier at night and then to be able to wake up in the morning. My body legitimately does not get tired. I have to make it go to sleep. I could probably stay up all night. So um, it's definitely a, a bit of discipline. But me and Sarah kind of balance each other out because she, she's up early and then asleep, you know, by 10. She's a grandma. <laughs> <laughs> okay so you said that you dedicate or you try to dedicate um being able to write at least an hour a day so mm -hmm. i want to go back a little bit when did you know that screenwriting was your thing so i i decided that i wanted to be a writer in high school. Before that, I thought I would go into psychology. And part of me still thinks at some point I'll go back to school um, to get like a PhD in psychology. But um, school is a lot and I'm not trying to do that right now. So, <laughs> right. Um, but I, I, I discovered that I wanted to write in high school. Um, but I initially thought that I wanted to write novels. So I spent the first couple years um, that I was writing I was working on books and trying to kind of break into the space as a novelist. And it wasn't until I, I went to school at Temple University and it wasn't until I majored in communications. And there were so many different options for like what you could do. 
Um, they had a study abroad program in New York and also in LA. I did them both. And uh, that kind of gave me more, because I, I didn't go to school for screenwriting. I didn't go to school for film at all. Um, so I could have really gone in any direction with a, a um, communications degree. But it was, you know, coming to LA, I, I kind of knew I wanted to live in LA, even though I had never been here. And coming here and interning for five different literary managers where I was doing nothing but script coverage and research on potential clients, that kind of gave me a crash course. And that's where I learned to write scripts, honestly. Um, if you hear a cat in the background, it's Sarah's cat just kind of walking okay. around. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, that's, that's kind of how how that came to be and then I became obsessed with Shonda Rhimes so I was like if I could have just like a slither of her career <laughs> that would be enough that would so, be enough <laughs> she is legitimately Khaleesi like I don't even know how to handle her so um yeah yeah that's kind of how that that came to be so when you did your uh internship or you were able to do script coverage. First, like tell everybody who might not be familiar what script coverage is, but then how did that help you who had never actually been a screenwriter or, you know, formally trained in it? Yeah, uh, script coverage, if you've never done it before, it is necessary, it's a necessary evil because um, essentially you're taking a script, you're reading it, you're, you'll be given a script by a manager, an agent, um, who is your boss and you'll read it for them and kind of give them like the the dummy version of it <laughs> like mm -hmm. a like a book report so that they can read it pretend they've read the book even though they haven't that's essentially what you're doing you're they don't have time to read every script that comes across their desk so you're reading it for them and kind of breaking down the different components of that script to let them know whether or not it's worth their time if they value your opinion if you work with them and kind of earn their trust uh, then a lot of times they'll take your you know recommendation over anything else like if you tell them oh it's good or you tell them oh it's not good a lot of times that's all they need so that's why you know as a writer or somebody who um is trying to get something made it's really important to be really nice to the assistants or the interns because a lot of times if they veto your script and they don't like it their boss won't even look at it um unless for some reason you have some type of in with them so as a side note always be nice to the assistants in hollywood it's very important but um, that's helped me not only, that was really aside from looking at scripts online and now there's so many online databases or if you live in LA, you can like go to the Writers Guild and explore their library and kind of spend time with that. But, um, that was where I learned how a script's formatted. Nobody really sat me down and taught me, um, how to format a script. I had to teach myself. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of scripts, which is the best learning you can do, which is reading really good scripts, reading really bad scripts, it kind of shows you the difference. You, you don't really know what bad writing is until you've read enough writing to be able to kind of decipher how good writing makes you feel mm -hmm. um, and the experience you have with it versus how bad writing <laughs> makes you feel and the experience you have with that. Um, so it was a learning experience for me to know what it means to have a distinctive voice and know what it means to be able to format correctly and also to know how to format correctly, but also since you have that ingrained knowledge to be able to deviate from that and, and take the risk because you know the, the um, fundamentals is something that you learn when you're spending so much time with scripts and especially doing um, script coverage. Not every script that you read is good. And I also did manuscripts as well. So I was covering books 
Um, and everything you read is not good, so it's a very easy way to be able to decipher, oh, this is why a script's bad, or oh, this is what makes a script good. So it was a crash course, especially the volume of scripts that came across my desk. You would have to cover one in a couple hours. Um, so yeah, it was it was intense. Wow, yeah, I didn't know that you had to cover one in a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah, because you, you think like for a film, which is, you know, 120 pages a lot mm-hmm. of the times, um, it, one page is supposed to take you a minute to be able to read through, but depending on how much action, how many words are on that page, it could take longer. And then you also are at the same time creating a report um, where you're breaking down all of the, you know, basic things you did back in English class when you would read something where you're like, you know, what's the theme and what's, mm-hmm. you know, um, the first act, the second act, you're breaking down all of that. You're breaking down the character structures, you're breaking down the log lines, all of the components of the script. You're kind of giving a summarized version of everything that's happening so that your boss can look at it and could, they could they should be able to call the writer just from looking at your thing and have a full discussion about the script just from your coverage. That's when you know that you've done your job right. I learned something new today. <laughs> um, so in that process, how do how do you feel that you were able to find your own voice as a screenwriter? Because I know we all like have our favorites. And even when I went to school for um, my MFA, it's very easy to like see someone and you're like, oh, I love their work. But how did you like fine tune your own voice and how you are as a writer? I had a really great boss when I was interning. Um, His name is Matt Horowitz, and he taught me. I'm not going to, it's not necessarily the most appropriate story, (laughs) Um, but he was given examples of like things you could say um, in a script that makes it conversational. And the idea behind it was that you want to be conversational. You want to talk to your reader as if they are a person. You don't want to necessarily write down to them or try to be too pretentious you want to actually be conversational that's what people connect to and he gave a really hilarious slightly vulgar um example which is that was like my intro to hollywood was that people just are very very casual and low-key and i love it um but he essentially was just like you you need to talk to your audience like they're people you don't need to describe things to death you know you can say if they you know, if, if you're talking about a shoe, just say it's a shoe. Like, you don't need to describe it. So um, that kind of empowered me to write the way that I normally write, which is very conversationally. It Initially, I thought that I needed to kind of put on a different voice in order to be um, considered, like, a proper writer as far as screenwriting goes. I need it because writing a script is writing an outline, essentially. It's a it's a guide for like how you're to shoot that project. So it's not prosy or, you know, poetic the way that writing a novel would be, which is what I started. So I had to kind of go over that learning curve of, oh, I have to be brief and I have to, mm-hmm. you know, be dis- be very clear and I can't be as descriptive as I could with, you know, a longer format. I have to be to the point. Um, and so that's kind of what he instilled in me is that, people know what you're talking about. Just say what you mean. You don't have to describe it to death. You you don't need to paint a picture. Just let them know what they're looking at. Um, And so that empowered me to write how I normally write, which is very conversationally, whether that's, you know, when I'm writing books or when I'm writing for my website, um, I always write as if I'm talking to a friend. And 
um, hearing from him that that's what like producers and managers prefer because they they want to feel like they're in the story as opposed to being described what's happening. They want to feel included. Um, so that's really how I started to develop my voice was, oh, I don't have to <laughs> write this like a book report. I can write it how I think in my head. I, I essentially just translate the way that my thoughts work or the way that I, I speak to my friends. I use that in how I write. I use it in my action. Um, you can kind of hear a little bit of me in every piece of dialogue that I write. And I think that's important to kind of let yourself show through what you're writing, even if it's, you know, a very limited format. And I feel like sometimes scripts can be a little bit limiting because they're, the point is to really outline and guideline um, what you're going to do for, you know, on, on set. So I know that you are not originally from LA. You are originally from Philadelphia, correct? Mm -hmm. So how yeah. do you think that as um, a writer, you've been able to like interject that you're not from necessarily the West Coast? Like, do you think it shows in your writing that you're not? Like, and is that something that's important to you? Um. Yeah, I think that. I think that shows in my dialogue probably more than anything. Um, I, I never recognize how East Coast I sound until people stop me in mid-sentence and say, wait, where are you from? <laughs> I'm like, oh, Philly. They're like, yeah, I can hear that. And I, um, I don't hear it, obviously, so I don't know. But I think that just the way I talk naturally um, or like East Coast slang, things like that kind of slip into my writing here and there. But for the most part, I don't think that I don't think that because I, I, I write obviously in the voice of whatever the character that I'm writing is and wherever they're from, um, dialogue tends to just depend. I literally just let, it sounds really like artsy and like meta. <laughs> I literally let my characters just talk. Like I don't really interfere in what they say too much. Mm -hmm. um, and then I am a writer who despises writing action. And for people who are not writers, action is everything that's not dialogue on a script. Um, and I hate it. I'm a dialogue queen. Like I love dialogue. I love just talking out loud or just hearing the words in my head and writing them down as I think of them. But I hate having to describe, cause I, I hate being that brief. I hate having to describe an entire scene in like a chunk of like a paragraph, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but I don't think being from Philly really, uh, informs my writing too much unless I need to write something sassy and then I get probably get a little bit uh city <laughs> I probably get a little east coast in that when my characters are being like a smart ass but other than that it's you know it depends on the character okay so you left Philly and you transitioned to California how was that because we do have a lot of listeners who are considering or um, I guess even idolizing moving to California, how was it for you? Um, it was good. It was, I mean, I, I moved when I, right after I graduated from college, I think I was 22. Um, and I, it was a learning experience. <laughs> it was just something, I, I feel like, you either plan for it really well or you're young and you're stupid and you do it unprepared. But either way, if you want it bad enough, it works. Like I, both Sarah and myself, we were not really properly prepared to move. Um, we had no savings. I had like 
I ha- halfway had a roommate. Like I had a girl that I met on Craigslist who had a <laughs> spot, but I had never met her. Um, luckily, I had, I had, you know, come to LA that summer and kind of was looking at apartments. So I knew the building she lived in. It was one of the places I toured randomly, but um, I didn't have like a secure job. I was still in the process of figuring out if I could transfer my job. Um, I had like you know, losses in my personal life with like people that I knew. I also had people being born, like babies. Um, so there was a lot of transitioning happening around that time. Um, and a lot of things that otherwise would have just kept me home because it was a kind of a difficult time. But um, I had a one-way ticket that I paid $120 for. So I was <laughs> going to LA and I packed up all my stuff, you know, and I think two giant suitcases. And then it literally took me like two years to have my dad to convince my dad to send the rest of my boxes because apparently every box was like a hundred dollars and he was not into it. But (laughs) um, I think that it, you kind of have to have this like to other people kind of looks like this blind, just irrational need to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was for us. Like it was not logical or responsible really at all. Um, We were not, everybody was like, you ain't moving to LA. And it's like, no, we are. And then it should not have worked out, but it did. So I think that um, kind of when you know you want to do it and you you know that no matter what happens, you're going to figure it out because it's what you want. It's not easy to be deterred from that when it's what you think you should be doing. So my, my advice to people would just be if you want it and if you want LA for LA. I wouldn't say, obviously follow your dreams and all of that, of course, but um, we just genuinely wanted to live in LA. It wasn't necessarily about coming out here to pursue X, Y, and Z. That was kind of, we were going to pursue that wherever we lived, but Mm -hmm. we, LA, for some reason, the lifestyle of LA, the vibe of LA, the city itself is what we wanted. So if you're coming out here, if you're risking it all just for your dream and LA is not a place that means something to you, um, then that's when you get frustrated when things don't work out. And that's when you start giving yourself a timeline of, oh, I'm giving myself five years to become Denzel Washington or I quit. Like (laughs) you have to actually just want to be here. And then once you're here, the next thing you have to want is to want to do what you are supposed to do. But if you feel like you can do what you want to do from anywhere and it's not LA itself that means anything to you, there are cheaper places to live. <laughs> there are way cheaper places to live. You might want to look into those because we got a lot of traffic and we got high rent. So we really don't need anybody else. Moving <laughs> like, we're good. <laughs> we got too many people here, but um, if you're, if you're going to move here, at least just actually want to be here. Don't come here and start complaining about our city because you can go home you know that's the sentiment that even now um some of my creative filmmaker friends that are in Atlanta that's one thing they said they're like we don't need any more people in Atlanta thank you Mm -hmm. that's right (laughs) if you're gonna be here want to be here don't come here and then start complaining about oh you guys need to have a real Christmas oh your traffic is horrible (laughs) you know where there's a real Christmas wherever you came from (laughs) that is so funny Okay, so I want us to talk about or die trying. Mm -hmm. First, I have to tell you, I think I told Sarah when we talked um, on her podcast, I am so ready for season two. And I told her, like, am I trying to put pressure? Because I already know, like, it's a whole process. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you need coins for season two. 
but it was, I was so invested and I was so annoyed at your character. <laughs> Everybody's always so bad at me. Like now I under I understand on the very small scale how Issa Rae must feel after the <laughs> finales because everybody when that when ODT season one came out, people were just like, Oh yeah, oh that was great, Maya. I love the, the show so much. By the way, you're horrible. <laughs> So it's okay. The whole time we were shooting, I was telling my um, director, Cammy, I was like, we are, I was, I kept telling her that Reagan is the worst. And she was like, you're not allowed to say that about her. You're supposed to understand her completely and sympathize. I was like, no, I understand completely why she does what she does and how her mind works. But also sometimes she's trash. Like she's not always trash, but sometimes she yeah. does trash things. She does. Okay, wait, before I do all that. So tell everybody what Or Die Trying is about. <laughs> yeah, so Or Die Trying follows four girls living in LA, or four women living in LA, and uh, in different aspects of the entertainment industry. So there's my character, Reagan's a writer. Sarah's character, Ellie, is an actress, but like an indie actress, not like a solo actress. It's important <laughs> that you know that. And then um, Amelia, who is Jenny Austin's character, she is a journalist um and but she's kind of put her career on hold for a dude like many of us do and uh mm -hmm. then chelsea london lloyd's character bailey is a comedian it's essentially um following the fact that in la and with you know pretty much anything when something's going really well in your life there's usually something else suffering when your career is like killing it your man ain't happy or when you know you can't find a dude your career you know it's just it's it's just you can never seem to have it all figured out at the same time so this kind of follows four characters who it's either their careers or their love lives that are struggling or both and there's nobody who's really balancing things well yeah i just want everybody to go watch it because you will <laughs> understand why Reagan gets on my nerves. <laughs> it's like you root for her and then she blows it and you're like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, so she, she means well. She just, she got issues. She <laughs> She's very layered. She has a lot going on in her life. Yeah, she does. Poor baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did you come up with the concept for it? Because I know you are the screenwriter for it. And mm -hmm. I definitely want to tell you, um, I admire it because um, I always talk about This Is Us. And I can appreciate any um, TV show that has different characters and they're all like layered and you want to be invested in all of them. So I do want to tell you, like, that was pretty amazing. Thank you. Um, so the idea came, me and Sarah, who we met in Philly, um, we moved out here and we weren't super close, but um, we were, we had worked together, things like that. And we wanted to, we both were in the industry and we wanted to make something together. Um, so we started coming out with the idea of just little like one or two minute short, like not even films, like little episodes that we could do about, you know, um, the life of like a writer um, and uh, actress, like the day in the life, um, kind of showing the ups and downs of what it is to, to live in LA and to be doing something in a creative field. Um, and Sarah at the time was working with both Jenny Austin and Chelsea Lloyd, the other two leads in ODT. 
And Jenny wanted to do something as well. So she kind of, Sarah looped all three of us in and we brainstormed and we kind of came up with just the general idea of the type of show we wanted to make. Um, came up with, you know, different characters and things like that. And then we looped Chelsea in to kind of finish up the ensemble. Um, and so we spent that summer creating a proof of concept. This was uh, three years ago, I believe. We created a proof of concept trailer to kind of to show people the tone and then we would use that later for fundraising. Um, and then I wrote half of season one, I believe that summer. Um, I think I wrote five of the eight episodes. And then around January of the next year, I had like a whole moment where I was like, this was, you know, we were leading up to, um, I believe our fundraiser was coming up soon. And um, I, I had a whole moment where I was like, this is not what I want. This is not what the show should be. It's too light. It's not, you know, every episode was kind of a, a one-off episode where you could kind of watch it and you didn't have to really know. It wasn't serialized. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, I don't feel like this is like, it's too fluffy. Like it's not, it's not deep enough. And uh, Sarah's always so supportive with whatever I want to do. So I threw out all five episodes because I'm dramatic. And um, <laughs> I wrote the new pilot in 20 minutes and I called her in like a manic frenzy, like, oh my God, it's perfect. Um, and then writing the, the next seven episodes was a little bit harder because then I had to kind of really weave storylines. And um, it was kind of essentially given each character like two minutes an episode for their storyline. And it was really uh, constraining, but we did it and we shot that thing and it was, it was crazy. <laughs> so, okay. You threw out <laughs> the five episodes mm -hmm. and you did the pilot. So do you have a process when it comes to building your characters? Because me and one of my creative friends, we like debate about this because <laughs> I'm kind of similar with you. Like if I get an idea, I will sit and like just write everything in one setting and she's mm -hmm. kind of different. So do you have a process when you're building your characters or do you let your, and I'm not trying to sound like a weirdo creative, <laughs> let your character speak to you? Um, no, I'm definitely of like the camp of like my characters full on speak to me. They're not even me. They're their own thing. It's kind of crazy. I, I know that I'm ready to start writing a script when I can't shut them up. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know that I ever really sit down. If I have to sit down and think about what they're going to say, it's not developed yet. Um, and so I need to, I'm not, uh, I'm recently trying to develop more on paper because I tend to develop a lot of stuff in my head, but it's good to kind of work it out on paper. Um, and I'm finding that it's easier for me to do that that character development and that story development if I'm physically writing it down as opposed to trying to type it and do it on the computer. So I'm very much a, uh, it's important for me to know my characters' names, even if you're going to change them down the line. Um, because when you're trying to sell a script, if you're going to shoot it yourself, of course, name them whatever you want. If you're going to try to sell a script, don't get too married to the names because when legal comes in and you have to do all that, a lot of times things change. So but um, it's important for me for characterization to know my characters' names and then to kind of understand their entire backstory and their mindset and, and you know, what they think and how they feel about X, Y, and Z. And so I kind of do all of that musing in my head. And then um, the characters start to just kind of 
throughout the day, especially like in the shower or driving quiet moments, it starts off in my head, the dialogue. And then if I'm by myself and I'm not going to look crazy to somebody else, I'll just start saying it out loud. But I, <laughs> I'm an idiot because I never write it down. So I come up with, they just say stuff and I don't have it written down. So when I go to write it later, I'm like, wait, what was I saying in the car? Um, <laughs> So, but yeah, I, I kind of let that happen. And then once it gets to a point where they kind of are narrating my life, then I know that I can sit down because then it won't be work to write. It's just me frantically trying to get out on the page, everything that's kind of already there. Thank you for saying that. This is so sidebar and so not super professional <laughs> as a podcaster. See, Tamika, there's a method to my math. See? <laughs> See? <laughs> I'm the same way. Like, yeah, if I have to force it, if I have to sit down and like think about it, it doesn't work good for me. Like it just takes yeah. too much time. And I'm like, and then I read it and I'm like, this is crap. So yeah, it definitely. Um, and if it makes you feel better, Shonda Rhimes is similar. I took her masterclass recently and I was shocked because of course Shonda has so many methods and things that she does that's unique to her that's what makes her like the boss or whatever but um a lot of this stuff especially with her characterization and her development is exactly what i do um and so it kind of helped validate that oh that not only works on the indie level but that works on the mass production level too to need this time to like you know incubate your characters and kind of to build it up she said she was thinking about scandal for like a year before she set out to write it she was thinking about and researching it and getting the voice right and the tone right and then once you can't stop thinking about it or you can't shut your characters up and they're talking too much and that voice is coming through really clear then you know that you are able to sit down and write it truthfully and you're not trying to make up the character's voice as you go the character's voice is already so instilled in your brain like i remember during our um premiere for odt um the uh what's the word the person who who like orator moderator where i get sure um the person who runs the q a she was kind of i'm talking to sarah who's launching on her couch <laughs> having just done a fresh face mask you look great Thanks, <laughs> um yeah the moderator was kind of going through and making us answer questions as our character um and all of the the voices just come so clear to me and it's much easier to write toward actresses or actors who you know is going to play the role because you can take a little bit of their voice and a little bit of the character's voice and kind of marry the two. Um, but yeah, once, once you kind of can't get that voice out of your head to this day, I could slip into Reagan at any moment. Once the character's really like solidly developed in your head, they kind of don't leave. So it gets really mm -hmm. crowded. Um, but yeah, it's, it just kind of takes time and familiarity, I think. I agree. Oh, thank you. You make me feel better. And I'm definitely now going to take her masterclass. I have been like Absolutely. procrastinating about it, but now I am. No, it's amazing. It's a hundred, like a hundred percent worth it. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Thank Look, you don't even understand how I just feel like, thank you so much. Somebody understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everybody's process is different. I know that um, people do things different ways. And I find that I'm not a writer who enjoys the process of writing. And I know it's probably not very PC to say that, but I feel like a lot of writers talk about how much writing sucks. Mm -hmm. um, we're just addicted to the final product or we're mm -hmm. addicted to, you know, the stories that are created from the process, but the process itself is like childbirth. It's like, you know, something good's going to come at the end, but the whole time you're like, 
can, can I die now? Like, right. <laughs> this is horrible. Um, so um, I've never enjoyed the process of writing, except for when I was working on books. I feel like that's a little bit more enjoyable because it's more, it's prose and it's, you know, poetic and fluffy and all of that. But um, with scripts, it's, it's kind of a labor of love. Um, so whatever you can do to make it easier or to keep yourself motivated through all the rewrites and through all the technical, I don't know how to, to, you know, translate the visual that's in my head technically in the correct way on the page, which is a, something that people struggle with a lot is Mm -hmm. this is what I see in my head, but what's the technical and correct way to lay that out on a page so where people can see what I mean, because you're working with such a limited, you know, medium in a lot of ways. So um, whatever works for you, run with it, because it's hard out here for all of us, no matter how established of a writer you are. Um, it's, it's always a struggle. Um, so it's about just finding the process that makes it the least of a struggle for you. And it doesn't matter if nobody else does it that way. If it's what gets pages written for you, then go for it. I absolutely agree. I'm just going to be over here smiling for the rest of the time <laughs> that we talk. So I did see that, um, you all, had 85% of your crew women were women. Mm-hmm. Why was that important for you all to be able to accomplish? Because, I mean, listen, we love guys. None of us would be here without men. Um, at the same time, guys are doing pretty good. I mean, it's rough for them out here in these streets right now, but um, <laughs> historically speaking, men have been fine. So we, we wanted to, it's, we're telling female stories and there's something really special about having female filmmakers tell female stories, um, whether it's writing or acting or crew. Um, it's all, all of those little touches that you don't think about, you know, having a female director and having that female eye behind the camera, even though our, our DP was a, a man, or having, you know, the female touch in production design or costume and hair and makeup, all of that just really um, contributes to the aesthetic that we were going for. It contributes to the spirit of the of the project. And also it makes it so that now the men that we did have on set, even though it was like one and a half of them, <laughs> they uh, now they have worked with a whole crew of women and they have women that they can recommend to other projects and say, oh, I've worked with her. She's great because that's what guys do for each other all the time. They work with each other and then they recommend each other and it stays in the family. So to be able to um, get guys more experience with working with women and also give women the opportunity to not only just do their thing, but also to do their thing on a female project that they can really take ownership of. It was such a cool experience having so many girls and you would think, Society will have you think <laughs> that right. it would be catty or petty on set, but it was so nurturing. Everybody was just so down to, to get it, things done and to make things look nice. And it was, it was amazing. So it was important for us to um, at least play a small part in showing people that you get a bunch of ladies on set and things are going to get done yes. for sure. For yeah. sure. And it's going to be magical and amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, I know that you and Sarah um, own Pretty Thing. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Pretty Thing is our new production company. We started it at the top of the year. So she brand new. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But she essentially she um, came to be. I'm calling her a she because she's a woman. Our production company. Yes. <laughs> yes, she is. She's a baby girl. Um, no, so we came up with the idea to want to do a production company last year after we released ODT. Um, we knew that we are just married out here in this game now. Me and Sarah are just literally work wives. We finish each other's sentences. So we're, we can't really get rid of each other. So we may as well <laughs> start a company together. Um, and we knew that aesthetically our voices were very similar. And we have everything that I'm good at, she's not. And everything she's good at, I'm not. So it's the perfect balance. Um, so we always knew that we wanted to make to start a company, but we thought it would be way down the line. And then the reality of being an artist in LA just means that you have so many gigs and so many things you're trying to do just to pay the bills. And it got to a point last fall where our like three year plan for our company turned into like a right now plan because we were so sick of our gigs and our jobs that we wanted to be able to be independent and to be working on things that creatively filled us and also be making actual grown people money. Like mm -hmm. little kid babysitting money, actual adult pay your bills and pay your taxes on time. Money. <laughs> and so the only way you're really going to make adult money in LA is if you either create your own business or find one of the three jobs that pays you adult money because everybody out here is working for pennies and it's not cute. So we um, started the company to be a creative outlet to also be a reliable source of income and to be something that we could be building because uh, we're inching toward 30 <laughs> and we want to have something to show for it. So um, it's been, it's been amazing. And so where do you see the production going, production company going? Do you have um, any short-term goals that you want to reach? Yeah. Um, we, we just want to be producing things all the time. And we're definitely stretching our – we're going out of our comfort zone with the types of things we produce. Um, we're kind of expanding our idea of what's possible to produce because it's very easy being a millennial – to look at things very small scale and say, oh, I'm so broke that I don't know how I'll be able to pay for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so with us, we're trying to look at things long-term and kind of have these um, long-term goals for the types of projects we want to produce, but also short-term right now goals of, okay, this is what we want to make. Um, these are the sources that we can go get money from. And this is how we would pitch to them and building those relationships and those connections um, to help make things happen in the meantime, you know? So we we just want to be producing good content, female-driven content, content that's real and that's not... The reason we, we named our company Pretty Thing, ironically, is um, it came out of something Sarah was... I had her describe what she wanted from a company. And she was like, I was like, well, what would you want to make? And she essentially was like, you know, I just want everything we... I just want to make like pretty things that are like real and relatable and that aren't necessary, that are true to life and kind of show um, the duality of life. So we want to make things that are aesthetically very nice, but that also are real and gritty and kind of show life in its true form that aren't, you know, don't have a, a shiny bow tied up on it. We want to show things as it is. We like realism. We like showing life in all of its complexity and showing the good and the bad and not hiding, not shying away from those tougher issues. So 
um, we see ourselves just creating really complex characters, empowering women to tell stories that aren't necessarily traditionally pretty, quote, quote unquote, or nice. Um, we, want, we want to tell things that are truthful and that are honest and that are meaningful. Um, and also entertaining and amazing and good quality and produced by women, starring women, female crew. Uh, we just really want to be like, we want to do our part in and getting the getting women like the recognition and the work that they deserve because women are out here killing it and nobody's mm-hmm. noticing. So we're trying to kind of spotlight that. I think that's a really awesome task. And I definitely believe that y'all are going to accomplish it because just to see, um, because, you know, I follow y'all just to see the progress that you've made, like just in a short amount of time, like that's, pretty major. So I'm cheering y'all on. Thank you. Um, And just to switch gears a little bit as we wrap up, I know that you wear a lot of different hats and you also are um, the founder of a wellness site. I just wanted to ask you because I looked up there and it's of course beautiful, but why is it important for you to make sure that creatives like have a balanced life because as creatives we definitely can get in the rut of like not taking care of ourselves and then because we usually are telling stories like we just carry a lot of emotional baggage Mm -hmm. so why was this important for you to I guess um like partake in doing yeah I think it's pretty much for all the reasons that you just said it's it's hard it's when you're trying to do something, first of all, that's not stable financially or <laughs> emotionally, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're trying to do something that uh, is not traditional, um, sometimes you, you can prioritize it over yourself um, in a lot of ways. Or just when you're doing something that you love or that you're passionate about, sometimes you, you, know, you sacrifice yourself at the expense of that thing. And so I wanted to create a space where it encourages people to be creative. I think that every human on earth was meant to create things, you know, not necessarily if you're not, if you don't consider yourself an artistic person, that might not be the thing you're meant to create. But I think that everybody, whether you're creating life or whether you're an architect or you're creating, you know, spaces or you're a farmer, you're creating, you know, food and nourishment. I think that everybody is meant to be bringing new things to the world Um, So I want to give people a space where they feel encouraged to do that, but they also understand that it doesn't have to come at the expense of your health and not just your physical health, but your mental health. I went through a period last fall around the time that me and Sarah decided to, um, to start our company early where I was so tired. I was legitimately losing my mind. I had too many gigs, which is a typical LA issue as we have a thousand jobs that are paying us four dollars <laughs> we just try to accumulate as many tiny little gigs as possible until we get the astronomical like rent that we have to mm-hmm. um so i had too many gigs and i had still only the same amount of time in the day as beyonce just with way <laughs> less money and help um and i was trying to balance everything and i was so exhausted i remember calling sarah one day and we were she was in the same position and she was the only person besides my dad who I knew who was as tired as me and our whole phone conversation was complete gibberish like at the end we're both like wait what like we had no idea what we had said because we were so tired and I was grabbing food you know 
um, since I would be running around so much, I was just grabbing whatever to eat. And I'm a pescatarian, so I eat pretty healthy because the majority of my diet is vegetables just by default. But um, at the same time, it's easy to also be a junk food pescatarian to be mm-hmm. grabbing pizza or pasta or whatever. And so I just, I was just kind of wearing myself down and, um, and it's, and that wasn't the first time in my life that that had been the, that way. So um, my blog went from being just a blog to last year at the beginning of the year being kind of transformed into this wellness space because I realized that there are tons of goops and well and goods in, you know, um, all of these websites, but there aren't anything that caters specifically to the creative lifestyle and that kind of encourages you to get your mental and physical health together because that only you empowers you creatively. It only gives you more energy and more mind space to be able to create what you want. You can't create at the level that you want to create at if you're tired or if you're under like malnourished or dehydrated or stressed or, you know, you can't operate that way. So um, I want to kind of fill that niche of, of stepping in and giving people a space where you can feel creatively stimulated, but also, understand just the basics of like self-care and nourishment and um fitness where you know you can kind of get both things in one place well I'm glad that you have that space because it's definitely needed like we I have to do better because I mean I definitely can tell the difference from when I'm working out and I'm taking care of myself versus right now where I'm just kind of like going through the motions Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think that's, it's very needed because it's not something that we usually talk about. Yeah. Well, I have my famous last two questions that I love to ask. So what are you watching right now and what are you reading right now? So I am watching um, anything Shonda does, obviously. Anything Shonda creates, let me clarify. I don't watch everything Shonda Land, but I do watch anything that Shonda is the creator of. But specifically right now, I just finished watching Queer Eye, which is my new obsession. Um, It's uh, much better than the original, in my opinion. I want to be best friends with Jonathan. I want to be best friends with Tan. I want to be best friends with Anthony. Um, And I also want to get my life together. It just really (laughs) makes you want to do better in all areas of your life. So I've been watching Queer Eye. But narratively, what if I, I'm still in the middle of the crown? This season for me is, is taking me longer than season one. Um, so I'm trying to get through that. But when I tell you I literally watch everything on TV, I could sit here all day. Um, but that's the show that I'm probably going to jump back into now that I've finished Queer Eye. Um, and then what am I reading? So I, um, I decided to just get on the audiobook bandwagon. I prefer physical things. I'm still a person who buys physical CDs mm-hmm. and who buys physical books. I don't have a Kindle. I don't like, I just like to have to pay my money and get a physical thing in return. Um, but at the same time, we drive a lot in LA. It's just the nature of our lifestyles out here. So I have started doing more audiobooks and podcasts um, to to kind of give the stupid radio a break because there's only so much Cardi B one can take, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm good for it right now. I'm chilling. <laughs> so uh, right now, me and Sarah have both been reading uh, motivational books to kind of get our mind right for our business. And 
I've read so many recently, but um, the one that we're kind of obsessed with is You're a Badass. And I don't remember, it's Jen, and I can't pronounce her last name. It's like Sin... Sincero or something. Yeah, yeah. So we read that one. And then um, also You're a Badass at Making Money, which is the second one of that of that series. Uh, and it's kind of just been getting us in this mindset of like, having a mindset of uh, abundance as opposed to of lack and of how like, really when you get your mind right and when you kind of train your mind to focus on the positive and to focus on what you want and manifesting what you want and manifest manifestation isn't just thinking oh i want a million dollars and then it just poof happens Mm -hmm. it's the idea of you kind of create the reality that you are thinking in your head so if everything always sucks everything's everything's gonna suck because that's the energy you're putting out so that's what's it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy so um this book has been teaching us to focus on the, the positive things and to kind of uh, reprogram our brain toward abundance and toward feeling like everything that we want is attainable to us. And that way it puts you in the position to be able to, to see those things come to fruition as opposed to thinking that everything is always a struggle. Because it's very easy, you know, in your 20s just to think that life is just a series of struggles. And it doesn't have to be. People are out here making hella money every day. Like, yes. we can all get paid. You just have to, you have to know what you're doing. You have to put the work in. So that's what I've been reading. I've been, I'm usually a fiction girl. I'm not usually a nonfiction book girl. But um, I'm doing, you know, I'm trying to adult better. Um, <laughs> I'm adulting pretty well these days. Um, so, yeah, I'm probably going to give that book another listen, honestly, because it's so good. That's good. Yeah, I have it too. It's funny when you said it's like literally sitting right beside my bed and I haven't started it yet. (laughs) You have to read it. It's so good. Yes, everybody has been telling me. So I was like, okay. And it's so sad because I have, I'm the same way. I I like physically holding a book in my hand. So I have like so many books. It's ridiculous. Just play it like when you're in the shower or when you're in the car. That's how I got started. I started playing it in times where I physically could If I sit down and just have it playing while I'm like laying in my bed, I feel like, oh, I should just be reading it right now. Mm-hmm. But if you have it playing at times where you could not be physically reading, like while you're cooking or while you're brushing your teeth or you're doing your hair, then you just you give it like maybe five, ten minutes and you're sucked in completely. Um, so I would have it playing Mia Sarah at a time for, for work and I would have it playing in the bathroom while I got dressed and she'd be in her room and she could hear it, you know, playing in the hallway. So, um, just play it when you're, when you're doing things and it's kind of a good background noise, um, as opposed to, you know, sitting in silence right. <laughs> or listening to the same, you know, Nicki Minaj song for the 50th time. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like reading these female rappers so hard right now. I don't mean to. We just get a lot of Nicki Minaj and Cardi B in LA. It's really exhausting. So I think that's just the trend in general. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> trend. So let us know how we can keep in touch with you, social media, websites. Yes, so you can follow me at um, Maya Hollis. I finally got my full name handled to myself. Apparently somebody else had it for like the longest time. And I had to add like weird underscores and and stuff. So at Maya Hollis is all of my social. Um, At Pretty Thing LA is the Pretty Thing social. All of the Holly Baker stuff is just my personal social because there's only so many Instagrams that won't (laughs) get it. Like, it's a lot. 
Um, and then you can also go to prettythingstudios.com and subscribe to our mailing list where you'll get all of our cute emails that our assistant is currently designing. It's going to be cute. Um, and same thing with Holly Baker. You can also go to hollybaker.com and subscribe and kind of stay up to date with that as well. Okay. So everyone, make sure you go follow, subscribe, so you can keep up with what's going on with her. And you know, you can go on the Creative Outsiders website. You can go to our social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Don't judge me. I'm trying to do better on Facebook. Um, <laughs> and as always, please let us know what you want to hear. Give us feedback so we can do better to help you live your filmmaking dreams. And I just want to tell you, thank you for being on the show today. You gave so many good gems and words of encouragement. So I'm thankful. Well, you are very welcome. So y'all know the drill until next time. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Go live them dreams.